Welcome to the Unteachables podcast. I'm your host, Claire, and I am absolutely no stranger to the challenges and let's face it, sometimes carnage of being a teacher. And if you found yourself here listening with me, I'd say that you might know a bit about that as well, because being a teacher is friggin' hard. And this podcast is dedicated to making you feel a hell of a lot less alone whilst giving you the knowledge, support and strategies that you need to not just survive the chaos of being a teacher, but truly thrive. Think about it as getting a weekly dose of relatable, actionable, and most importantly, enjoyable professional learning straight into your ears. So hit the subscribe button, download me for your commute, and let's get into it. Hello, lovely people. Welcome to another week of the Unteachables podcast. If you can hear my voice right now, that means that you've made a very conscious effort today of pressing download, pressing play, putting me on in your headphones or in your car or wherever else you're listening to me right now. And that's pretty special. That's pretty cool. And if you haven't noticed, I still don't know how to open an episode without sounding really incredibly awkward. So let's just get into it, why don't we? I think that some of you are on Easter break as well at the moment. So I hope you're enjoying your Easter break if you're listening in real time. Or if you're in the thick of a term, then I hope that everything's going well there as well. I know that you're probably smashing it out of the park, whether you think so or not. So this episode, I'm going to be talking about a book that was personally my favorite growing up, Matilda, Roald Dahl's Matilda. And I got Matilda as a present from a school friend at my seventh birthday party that I held at Pizza Hut. And at the time, it was the longest book that I'd ever read. I was so proud of myself. I read it again and again. And for those who haven't read the book or seen that 90s movie, it is about the protagonist Matilda She's a bright and gifted young girl. She suffers neglect from her family who just don't believe in education, the value of education. She's one of those children that are just seen and not heard. Um, And she has to advocate for her own right to go to school. When she does go to school, finally, she goes to Cruncham Hall, where she, like her peers, they're at the mercy of this nasty Miss Trunchbull who does does things like makes kids stand up in a tiny room and the walls are made of these sharp implements. It's called the chokey. And then in contrast to this like really scary headmistress, there's Miss Honey, who is this beloved, kind-hearted and dedicated teacher whose classroom is just this beautiful refuge of safety. Um, So she secretly goes against the Trunchbull's punitive and prescriptive ways of teaching. She tries to teach from the heart. She loves her students and she takes a particular shine to this girl, Matilda, and she ends up adopting Matilda. Like, let's ignore the fact that that crosses many professional boundaries, but that's kind of in a nutshell, the story of Matilda. And why am I talking about Matilda today? I'm talking about Matilda because I want to talk about Miss Honey. Miss Honey, this beautiful teacher, she is a household name for many teachers For so many, she was actually the reason and this catalyst, this inspiration to get into the job of teaching. She was the saving grace to the kids she taught. She was generous. She was compassionate. She protected her students and their well-being. The school was built on this behavior management approach that was incredibly physically and psychologically abusive to the students at Cruncham Hall Primary School. And it's really interesting looking back because it really is this first kind of like proper representation in pop culture of a punitive approach and a relational trauma-informed approach contrasted side by side and how that can benefit students. Of course, in the 90s, the punitive approach was still in full swing. 
student well-being, student safeguarding. It wasn't something that was like a dominant conversation or discourse really. Well, it certainly wasn't where I went to school because I certainly needed something at the time and uh, I don't think that it was taken seriously at all. But since becoming a teacher, I've had so many conversations with other teachers about them as kids themselves and Miss Honey being this idol and being a catalyst for them becoming a teacher. She's certainly a character that I idolized as a child, but I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher until I was already at university. But despite being a model for the values that I hold close to my heart as a teacher, and so many of you do as well, like, you know, seeing your kids as humans and being kind and taking an interest in them and their abilities and trying to make the learning relatable and all of those things, there's a bit of a trap here with Miss Honey, which is that even though she really did inspire a generation of teachers, she isn't exactly a realistic representation of what it takes to be a teacher. And I would arguably even say that along with famous representations of teachers like Freedom Riders, it encourages this martyrdom in teachers. It encourages teachers to be so self-sacrificing of their personal lives, their own mental health. I mean, she freaking takes Matilda into her home and that just reinforces those unrealistic expectations and this narrative of us being incredibly self-sacrificing and not being able to set those like professional boundaries and, you know, those like kind of blurring of lines and all of those things that we're trying to step away from as teachers because it's so important for us to have those professional boundaries and to leave work at work and to, I mean, we take so much home, don't we, in in terms of like the emotional load of that. We are like crippled with secondary trauma as teachers, um, compassion fatigue as teachers. There's so much that we do have to kind of we don't have to, but we take it on so much naturally because of the nature of the work. So the tale of Miss Honey taking Matilda home, crossing those boundaries, blurring those lines, of course, that's going to send the wrong message to teachers if they're idolizing Miss Honey. But the main reason I want to talk about Miss Honey was to talk about what it really takes to actually classroom manage and how the representation of her and her work, they're obviously a work of fiction. Her students adored her. They were compliant. They were the perfect class. So like what actually goes into creating a class environment where students are behaving and engaging in that way? It is far, far, far more than just building the relationship that she built. It is far more than her being kind or us being kind. And I guess it's just another example of the fact that it does take so much more than a relationship and a positive rapport to classroom manage. It is a very um, kind of mainstream idea that we need to put the relationship first. And of course we do. But what happens is when teachers, and I've got a whole episode about this, but when teachers put the relationship first and really develop that relationship, it doesn't stop behaviors from happening. And then they're left feeling, well, what next? If the relationship's not working and I'm being told by all of these people that that's the key to, you know, positive classroom management, then what am I doing wrong? Anyway, I digress. There's a whole episode on that if you want to listen to it. There are a couple of things that I want to talk about that would have gotten her into a huge stitch up with behavior if this was a real classroom today. She was a very relaxed, casual and open teacher. I remember her like sitting on desks and just having a chat. That nonverbal classroom management style of being like super relaxed, casual and open without that sense of credibility and control and that balance. And when I talk about control, mind you, I don't mean control in a sense of like controlling our students. We need to model what we get back from our kids. When we're in, we're really casual in our approach, we're inviting that same casual approach back from our kids. Like, so kids getting out of chairs and running around and chatting with their mates. 
we need to model what we want from our, our class. So when we talk about control, we're not talking about controlling them like little puppets on a string. We're talking about being controlled in ourselves and then giving a sense that we are in control of ourselves and our surroundings. So it's not about controlling anybody, but we do need to be controlled in our teaching and controlling the environment and what we can control. It's never the kids. We can never control the kids. So that classroom management of like really casual, nonverbal, it would have stitched her up if that was a real classroom. I've spoken before a lot about the approachable versus credible nonverbal styles and how we need to really balance those two to be able to have effective classroom management. If we're walking in more approachable, which is like slouching a little bit more and kind of leaning on things and talking in a more informal way, that's going to create a tone in the classroom where we get that back from our students. If we're wanting to give instructions, if we're wanting to have a little bit more control over the environment, then we have a more controlled body. We have a more still body. We um, have more formal like style of language. And of course that's adaptable for the the students that we're teaching and the age of the students we're teaching. Um, so that's Michael Grinder's Envoy. And I've done a couple of posts on that before. And I also have a um, podcast episode on just that. So I can pop that in the show notes for you. So thinking about the balance of approachable and credible, whereas Miss Honey was incredibly approachable and there is no way that she would walk into that classroom being super loosey goosey with her body language, with her language, with all of those things and have students that are sitting there in their seats, ready to learn, unless it's a very compliant class already, but it's very rare that that will happen. We always need to kind of balance those things and model what we want for our students. The next thing that really would have stitched her up if this was like a real teacher is the fact that she only focuses on her gifted, intelligent student, Matilda. Lucky for her, it doesn't cause any issues in the film, but could you imagine us doing that in our classrooms? Not only would it be wrong of us to be giving that kind of like special treatment to one student whilst pretty much neglecting the rest, um, but they would just have an absolute field day with it. If you did that in your classroom, your kids would be bouncing off the walls, the ones that weren't the Matildas. And of course, I'm not stupid. I know it's not ever, it was never supposed to be a true representation of what it actually takes to be a teacher. I'm just being critical of it. But there are so many things that go into the work of developing the kind of culture that Miss Honey gets in her class. Miss Honey has good values and she is a model of those values for a generation of teachers. That I love that. I love the fact that teachers looked at Miss Honey and not the Trunchbull and said, that's the kind of teacher that I want to be. Yet her good pedagogy is not really demonstrated in the film. So it didn't give us a realistic view of what it took to be a teacher. I don't know if this has ever happened, right? I just thought it was really interesting to talk about today. But I'm imagining teachers going into their classrooms and thinking to themselves, yes, I'm going to be like Miss Honey. My class is going to be really lovely. They're going to love me because I care about them. I'm going to be generous and they're going to respond to that and appreciate that. I'm going to be self-sacrificing. So I'm going to put myself and pour my whole heart into this, this job. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be dedicated. And then the reality hits and the students aren't compliant and the students don't respond to that. And the students don't give a crap how kind and generous and self-sacrificing you are. The students don't care about the work that you're putting in. The students don't care about the work that you're giving them because it doesn't relate to them in any way. They just, they don't care about the work. They don't feel safe in your classroom. You simply can't expect all of those things to be a fast track to having a classroom full of students that are ready to learn and display positive behavior. You've got to have so much more up your sleeve. It takes so much skill. It takes really good, solid pedagogical practice. 
you have to have both. So I guess I'm saying don't be disheartened if you're doing all the right things. If you're the kind teacher and things still aren't going right, it's unrealistic. As I said before, there is so much more to behavior management, classroom management, teaching than just relationships and being kind and being compassionate. But it's obviously still very important and there needs to be that balance. This is a non-exhaustive list of the things that actually go into classroom management on top of the relationships and on top of your values around caring for each child, your classroom environment, the way you set the culture in your classroom, the way you plan and prepare your lessons, like the resourcing, the differentiation, all of the things that make a huge difference to the stress response in our students the expectations you have of your students and the way that you set them and the way that you hold those boundaries with your students, the nonverbals you're using, as I said before, the difference between the credible and approachable and whether you balance that right and whether your nonverbals are commanding their attention. Are you modeling what you want to see from them? The routines you have in your classroom. So how are they entering the room? How are they exiting the room? How do you reinforce that? How do you teach that? Um, Are those routines working for your students? The strategies you use to de-escalate behavior, whether it's low-level behavior or high-level behavior, what strategies are you actually using to de-escalate that and be able to focus on the teaching? Co-regulation and self-regulation, your relationships with parents in the community, how you follow up on behavior and actually resolve the behavior and teach students how to do differently next time, understanding the behavior itself. And there's so much more that I haven't mentioned, but as I said, like that's a non-exhaustive list and it takes a hell of a lot more. And I guess that just proves that it takes a hell of a lot more than just a smile and taking interest in your students. Challenging classroom behavior is complex. It is nuanced and dealing with it, addressing it, resolving it, reducing it, mitigating it is also complex and nuanced, just like behavior is. Miss Honey is such a brilliant role model for a relational approach. And it makes me so happy that she is the role model, as I said, and not the trunchbull, but it takes so much more. But I I'd love that she's inspired a generation of teachers to get into the classroom and care about their students. And even the fact that we see Matilda's backstory before she gets into that, but Matilda didn't have bad behavior. She, (laughs) she was fine. It was just the fact that we were able to see that there's obviously a human that is sitting in that classroom that has so much going on. Okay. I'm going to leave that there for the day. I just hope you found this episode interesting. What do you think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Let me know. Pop over to my Instagram, my emails, have a chat if you want. And if you want to know about all of those things that actually go into effective classroom management that I mentioned in that non-exhaustive list and more, I cover all of that in my classroom management course that'll teach them. Depending on when you're listening to this episode will depend on when you can enroll. If you're listening in real time, the next enrollment is open on the 16th of April and it's open until the 29th of April. And that is the only cohort I am running for 2023. And that's just because I'm writing the book and I have my Bubba Ava, who's only three months old now, and I want to make sure that every single cohort gets my attention and my support. And I feel like I only have the capacity to do that once this year. So if you're really wanting to join, that'll teach them. And I think that you should, if you have the capacity to do that, you can join the waitlist by clicking on the link in my bio so you don't miss out. The waitlist people will also get an additional discount. So make sure you're a part of that. 
I just can't wait to support you to develop your practice. It is a true privilege. I can still remember every single mentor and training and experience that led me to each part of the course, even 13 years later. Like as I was developing the course, I could just pinpoint all of these experiences that helped me build it. And it's so special to think that I could be a meaningful part of your teaching practice too and your teaching journey. And it's just eight weeks long. And in eight weeks, and of course you can do it in your own time. You've got a year to access it. But if you follow it live, just eight weeks, I will support you through developing those foundational things that have shaped me as a teacher. And great for you. You don't have to flail about in the dark and put those million puzzle pieces together, just like I did. It's all there for you, written down, ready to go. And I'm not saying I miss honey, but these are the skills that she actually would have needed to have a class that was there, that was engaged, that was ready to learn, that was happy and all of those wonderful things that we want to see in our own classes. Have a lovely week, everybody. And I will see you here same time, same place next time. 